he is back this evening. I was talking to him out there, and I don't know. I was using the illustration. Imagine going to a football field, and you're going to play a little football, and Tom Brady or Peyton Manning shows up to watch you play. Or imagine going to the golf course, and Tiger Woods comes to watch you play golf. That's the way I feel this evening with someone like Tony Cloud in the audience listening and watching. We're going to, again, this evening talk about one of those kids' lessons, right? I put that in quotes. We talked about that this morning. We're going to talk about Jesus feeding the 5,000. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 in a few minutes, a few verses earlier than what we studied this morning. But I want to take an opportunity again to, to plug the idea of these kids' lessons, right? These lessons that many of us that grew up in the church, we heard as kids all of our life. And I want to challenge us that there's no such thing in the Bible as a kid's lesson. Every lesson in the Bible, every story in the Bible is something that's valuable to all of us. And so this summer, during the summer um, Wednesday night, I'm going to be teaching the adult Bible class. And we're going to be going through many of these lessons, many of these stories from the Old Testament, and seeing if there's something that can apply to all of us. And if you didn't grow up in the church and you did not grow up hearing these stories regularly, it is a great opportunity to come learn them, learn about them, and those that we reference sometimes and maybe we don't know all the details on. So I'm looking forward to that study. As we begin tonight, let's go to God in prayer. Wonderful Father, we thank you again for the day that you've blessed us with, for the opportunity we have this evening to spend time worshiping you. We hope and pray that what we do here glorifies you. Bless us now as we dive into your word for a few minutes that we will open our hearts to what you have to say to us. And bless this opportunity. We're so grateful you've given us your word to study. It's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, when I was growing up, I worked for several years with a catering business. And I know many of you look at me and think, oh, yeah, he looks like someone who would decorate and do catering. I know that. I spent several years catering. If you've ever done that, we catered large weddings and large get-togethers. And there were always a couple things that were the most scary, right, that worried us the most, that created the most anxiety. If you've ever done a large wedding, you know what the first thing is that you worry about. Anybody? It's the cake, right? Because we would pick up the cake and we would have to transport it to the venue. I can tell you many a times I laid across the back seat of a minivan with my hands on the cake as we drove around to make sure it didn't get damaged. But the other thing you worry about anytime you're catering a big event or a big meal, or if you've ever hosted a meal, you've ever hosted a big event, what if you run out of food? Can you imagine having people over and running out of food? Emily and I are from the South, and you can't run out of food in the South. I mean, it's not allowed, right? In fact, so much so that when we cook a meal, Emily's like, why in the world are you fixing 17 pounds of meat for four people coming over, but I don't want to run out of food? Now, imagine yourself at the end of a long day, and you've got 5,000 men, 10,000 people, and you need to feed them. That's where we find our story this evening. It's the end of a day, there's 10,000 people, and they need to eat. Matthew chapter 14, let's begin in verse 13, and I'm going to read all the way through 21. And again, I know it's a long reading, but we want to lay the foundation as we go into our study tonight. Verse 13, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. 
And they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were five thousand men, besides women and children. The feeding of the 5,000. It's one of Jesus' miracles. In fact, it's the only one recorded in all four Gospels. So it's maybe one we should spend a few minutes studying if it's that important that all four of the writers recorded it. Uh, before we get dive into the, the lesson tonight, this morning I talked about the idea that Jesus started his day. This was a bad day, right? He started his day. The first verse, now when Jesus heard this. What is it that Jesus had just heard, right? His friend, John the Baptist, is dead. He started his day with bad news. He wanted to go mourn. He wanted to go grieve. And we talked this morning about the fact that it's okay when you've had a bad day, when you're worn out. It's okay to want to be by yourself for a little while. And we spent some time talking about that, and I made a comment about it's okay sometimes to say no when people ask you to do things. And several of us talked afterwards, and so I want to kind of chase this rabbit for just a minute this evening before we get into tonight's verses. The idea of saying no, right, when someone asks you to serve, or the idea of saying no when someone asks you to help. You know, some, for some of us, that's just that's not what we're used to. We would never say no to serving the Lord. We would never say no to working at church. But I want to talk about just a minute the idea of the work that gets done in the church. Like most organizations, to be honest, it's the 80-20 rule. And I'm sure you've heard that. 80% of the work tends to be done by 20% of the people. And I would like to get up here and proudly put my thumbs under my shoulder and say, I'm one of those 20 percenters, right? But let's talk about that a little bit. Why is it that 80% of the work tends to get done by 20% of the people? Well, one thing is there is a willingness and an ability, right? I mean, some people are willing to do things and some people are a little more shy. There's also a time factor. You know, if you've got three kids under the age of five at home, you're probably not going to have the same amount of free time that I do, and I'm an empty nester. But there may be something else that happens, and it's us 20 percenters that maybe need to hear this, and on a Sunday night crowd, that's a lot of the people I'm talking with. Perhaps that 80% are willing to serve, but they're not given the chance. Or perhaps that 80% is willing to serve, but they're never asked. See, one of the dangers, and I didn't think about this until a few years ago when I got called out for it. One of the dangers of always being the one, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, sign me up, is that I may be taking the opportunity for someone else to jump in, right? I may be taking the opportunity away from someone else who has an opportunity to grow or to serve. Just look at our worship service. How many men rotate through the focus? How many men rotate through the closing prayer? And there's a reason for that. Maybe we haven't asked. Maybe we haven't given them a chance, some other men a chance to do something and let them grow into that. And so I do want to say the idea of saying no when asked to serve is okay when you need a time off. But it also may be okay when there's someone else that needs that opportunity. Sorry, I chased that rabbit. But after some conversations this morning, I wanted to go down that road. So in verse 13, we see that Jesus withdrew himself to a desolate place. When the crowd saw him, they followed him. 
Remember, Jesus wanted to be alone. The crowds went on foot and followed him. We're going to spend some time tonight seeing what we can learn from Jesus in this story. But before we do, let's learn one quick lesson from the crowd. The crowd was seeking Jesus, weren't they? The crowd was working to find Jesus. They wanted to be where Jesus was. And that's something we should want. But I think the other lesson to learn is we talk about this world. We talk about the fact that the world doesn't want Jesus. We talk about the fact that the world doesn't know Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, I think the world is seeking Jesus. I think the world wants Jesus. They just don't even know it sometimes. How often do we see people in the world looking for something in their lives, looking for something that they can grasp a hold of? I think the world wants to seek Jesus. And if we give an opportunity, if we start talking about him, if we start preaching it, I think the world's going to be receptive. Now let's see what we can learn from Jesus in this study. Verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and started healing the sick. Remember, Jesus is worn out, right? Jesus is tired. Does anybody deserve the right for a break? Absolutely, Jesus does. And we talked this morning about how that can be important. But let's also look at what Jesus' focus was. Jesus' focus was on ministry. Does this surprise us that Jesus says, hey, I need to be alone, I need to, be, I need to rest, but when I see people, I'm going to minister to him? Think about Jesus, the earliest writings we have about him when he was 12, and he's in the temple, and his parents are looking for him, and they found him. What does he say to them? Didn't you know I would be about my father's business? What we see here is Jesus being about his father's business. We see Jesus prioritizing ministry and what he does. Jesus had compassion on them, not just because they were hungry, but he had compassion because they were lost. Jesus was ministering to them. When we look at Matthew chapter 25, and we see the the day of judgment and the separation of the sheep and the goats going to the left and to the right, there's a statement there that says, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you naked and clothe you? When did we visit you in prison? And God says, when you did it to, you know the term, the least of these, you did it to me. Why is it that Jesus, who's tired, why is it that Jesus, who needs time alone, why is it that Jesus, who went to be away by himself, still took time to minister? Because he looked out and he saw 5,000 of the least of these. He saw 5,000 that needed to be ministered to. And I think that's important when we talk about the work that we do for the Lord, that we should be evaluating whether we're doing the work of the Lord and whether we're ministering. What do I mean by that? Well, when we used to do a lot of work with churches and we were talking about trying to grow churches, one of the things we talked to them about is always evaluating everything you do when it comes to the work of the Lord. Because the focus of the work of the Lord should be ministry, right? It should be about seeking and saving the lost. And that means when we do things like our worship service, when we do things like VBS, when we do things like summer Bible camp, when we do things like fellowship meals, those all have value and those all are good. But if the focus is not on ministry, then we shouldn't be doing them. If the focus is on having a good time, there's lots of organizations that can have a good time. But our focus should be about the Father's business because that was Jesus' focus. And that means ministry. That means we see people that need to be ministered to. That means we see people the way Jesus saw them. 
And there's a term there in verse 14. He had compassion on them. The next thing that I try to remind myself is I need to make sure when I use the word compassion, I'm using it the way Jesus used it. Because we don't use the word compassion the right way. We use it like, oh, I really felt sorry for them. Oh, don't you feel sorry for that person? And then we move about our business. Jesus' compassion wasn't a feeling of sorrow. It was a feeling that led to action. Jesus had compassion on them, and then he healed them. Jesus had compassion on them, and then he fed them. See, his action led to the ministry. His compassion led to the ministry. In James chapter 2, we see a description of dead faith, faith without works. And there's an example there where James says, let's say you have a brother or sister in Christ, and they're hungry, and they're naked, and you say to them, go eat and be filled, be dressed, be clothed, have a good day, and you walk away. That's sympathy. That's not compassion the way Jesus had it. Saying, what good is that? It's absolutely useless. That faith is useless. Compassion the way Jesus had it says, eat, be filled, and let me help you get food. You're naked, let me help you get clothed. Jesus' compassion led to ministry. Jesus' compassion led to action. It meant that he was going to do something about it. And it wasn't because Jesus saw them as hungry. Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus looking out over Jerusalem, and he sees the crowds of people, and he describes them as lost sheep without a shepherd. See, when Jesus saw people, he didn't just see them as hungry. He didn't just see them as naked. He didn't just see them as sick and needed healed. What Jesus saw, what he had compassion on, was their souls. Jesus saw people as a soul that's going to stand before the Almighty one day. In fact, later in his ministry, he will even tell people, you're following me because you want to eat a meal. That's not why you follow me. You should follow me because you want the bread of life. See, Jesus saw people differently. And I need to have that type of compassion that sees people not as someone that needs to eat a meal, not as someone who's naked. Those are important. But as someone who has a soul that will stand before God. And so when I have my focus on the ministry that Jesus had, when I have compassion the way Jesus does, then I'm going to treat people differently. I'm going to minister to people differently. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 19, he tells us his mission and it wasn't to feed people. He tells us his mission and it wasn't to clothe people. He tells us his mission and it wasn't to heal people. We said it this morning, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, I came to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus was focused on. That's why at the end of a hard day, that's why at the end of a day where he's lost his friend, he's still there ministering to people. That's why he had compassion on him. As we go through the story in verse 15, we see that the, the disciples, and this, I very much relate to this. I'm a very realistic person. And the disciples, Jesus, it's the end of a the day. They're hungry. There's a bunch of people here. We've got to feed them, right? That's the reality of what they were facing. And that's me. I'm a realist. Hey, there's 5,000 people here, and they've got to eat. And the disciples were focused on the fact that there wasn't a town nearby, they didn't have enough food. They certainly didn't have enough money to buy the food because that's what the disciples were focused on. But Jesus knew something different. Jesus was focused on something different. Like the disciples, I often focus on what I can't do, right? Oh, we can't feed them. We can't do this. 
We can't accomplish this. Have you ever looked at somebody and thought, I'm not going to waste my time preaching to them. They're not going to listen. I don't have what they need. Have you ever looked at a relationship and thought, that, that relationship can't be salvaged? Have you ever been very realistic? But Jesus had a different focus. See, Jesus didn't focus on what they couldn't do. Jesus was focused on what God could do. Jesus' focus was very different. He knew the power of God. He knew that there was no limit to what God could accomplish. And oftentimes as a Christian, I don't have that focus. And I think this person's not salvageable. This relationship's not salvageable. This person is beyond hope. Why am I even praying for him? Jesus says, if you have the faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain and send it into the sea. The reason Jesus wasn't worried about feeding the 5,000 is he knew he could do it. He knew where the power came from. He wasn't worried about how far it was to the nearest city. He wasn't worried about how many fish and loaves they had. That didn't matter. He could overcome that. You ever heard people that talk about, well, you know, I don't think, I don't think the church is going to accept me, or I don't think I'm ready to be baptized. You ever, I've actually heard somebody say, that person shouldn't be baptized. They still have too much going on in their life. You ever had people who say, I don't want to come to, Jesus, to God yet because I, my life's just too messed up. My sin is too great. All of those things are focusing on man and what man can accomplish and not focusing on God and what God can do. We talked about Wednesday night, Matthew chapter 19 and the story of the rich young ruler. And at the end of that story, the ruler goes away sorrowful and Jesus says it's impossible for a rich man to get to heaven. And the disciples say, well, then who in the world can make it? And Jesus says, well, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. I think too often I focus on what I can and can't do, and I limit what God can and can't do. I do the same thing when I think about what I should be doing or serving. Have you ever had people who say, oh, you know, I could never lead a, I could never teach a Bible class. I couldn't go on a mission trip. You want me to have a Bible study with somebody? I couldn't do, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to do that. I couldn't do that. Those people aren't doubting themselves. They're doubting what God can accomplish. They're doubting what God can do. God can use my weakness to do great things. God can use my shortcomings to do great things. The disciples were focused on the 5,000 people that needed to eat. Jesus wasn't worried about that. He wasn't focused on what couldn't be done because he, he knew what God could do. The next lesson tonight is my favorite. I get pretty excited when I think about it, uh, and it's something that I've been guilty of, and I've told you often that I preach about things that I struggle with or I've been guilty of, uh, because I hope if it benefits me, it might benefit someone else. I've heard a lot of lessons on Jesus Feeds the 5,000, and many of you have, sermons and Bible lessons, and I've heard a lot of evaluation. I was in a study one time of somebody that went through every Greek word in the sermon or in the lesson and talked about what it meant. I've heard people talk about the meaning of the five loaves, the meaning of the two fishes. Five and two together is seven. Seven is the perfect number, right? Five thousand. Is five thousand significant? I've heard lots of stories. So let me ask you this. What does the five loaves and two fishes mean? What does the five thousand mean? Before you answer, I'm going to answer. Nothing. You know, sometimes we try to make too much out of something. Sometimes we complicate the Bible lesson too much. You know what the five loaves means? They didn't have enough to feed 5,000 people. 
You know what the 5,000 means? There were thousands of people that couldn't eat. See, the, the story's pretty simple. Jesus accomplished a miracle. And I think that's the story here. And God provides for their needs. We're going to talk about that as our next lesson. I mean, as our next point. But the story's pretty simple. Now, I'm not undermining the idea of looking at the Greek, the idea of the historical context of meeting on the side of the sea, the idea of using the boat and the imagery that comes about. Nothing wrong with studying culture and history. I'm certainly glad somebody out there knows the Greek and the words and the accuracy. But I'm here to tell you the gospel message is simple. And the mistake I make is when I try to complicate it. When I try to take the gospel message and add something to it. When I try to take the gospel message and make it hard to understand. Because when I read Acts 2.38, what must I do to be saved? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, each and every one of you. That's pretty simple to me. That's pretty straightforward to me. And I don't know why sometimes we make it really complicated. Oh, I don't know if you're ready to be baptized. You don't know enough of the Bible. Well, if you know Acts 2.38, if you know that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived and died and was raised from the dead for your sins, I think you know enough. Now, there is a time to advance from, as the Hebrew writer would say, milk to meat, right? There's times, and I've done studies, that are very in-depth. But sometimes we start looking for the hidden meaning when there's no hidden meaning. Sometimes we make it much more complicated than we need to. Do we do that in the church? Absolutely. I've been at a church where you weren't allowed to serve if you didn't wear the right stuff. I've been at a church where you weren't really a member if you weren't dressed the right way, if you didn't know the right words. I've been at a church that treats people as junior members because of sin they have in their past life. Oh, because of that sin in your past life? We're not going to let you be a real member here. I've been at churches that put human traditions, human add-ons, things that are important to humans. But when I look at the gospel message, I see a pretty straightforward message. Let me give you an example, the book of Galatians. If you've ever really studied the book of Galatians, it's about a simple idea. Paul came to the Galatians, he preached to them, right? He says, I preached to you a gospel. And then some other people tried to start adding stuff on to it. They tried to start adding Jewish traditions, human traditions. Things that weren't bad, by the way. Right? Ceremonial cleansing is not a bad thing. But Paul said, anything that you add, Jesus plus anything is a false teaching. The gospel plus anything is a false teaching. We sometimes make it too complicated. What's the meaning of the five loaves and two fishes? What's the meaning of the 5,000? The meaning is you and I couldn't do it, but Jesus could. That's the meaning. The meaning is Jesus has the power to do miracles. We don't. What's the meaning of the story? Well, it is pretty straightforward. They needed food, and Jesus gave it to them. God gives us what we need. Jesus gives us what we need. But remember, Jesus' focus was not on food. We talked about this morning, Matthew 6, and worrying and anxiety about eating and where you're going to sleep. And God talks about not worrying about those things. But it's because God gave them what they needed, but more so he had given them something greater than they needed. It wasn't the food, it was the bread of life. It wasn't the filling their hunger, it was the plan of salvation. And God gives us what we need. 
whether that is through the plan of salvation, the plan of salvation that he gave to us, because, see, we don't have a chance to get to heaven without that gift, but through that gift we can be with God in heaven. We talked about that this morning, hearing the word, believing it, repenting and turning away from that sin, confessing his name before heaven, I mean, before men, and then being immersed in the watery grave of baptism, risen again to live for him faithfully. But God gave us more than that. He gave us a church family, a church family that cares about us. And as we extend the invitation this morning, that church family cares about you, or this evening, that church family cares about you. If you have a need, that church family is willing to be here to fulfill that need. God gave us the avenue of prayer, an avenue that allows us to go to him with things that are heart, on our hearts and minds. And God gave us the avenue of forgiveness through his son's blood. Forgiveness for anything that we've committed, anything we have in our life. He's given us all these things that give us what we need so that we can be with him in heaven. So the invitation is open this evening. If you're ready for that plan of salvation, to be baptized and immersed, raised anew, if you want this family that God's given to you to pray for you or to support you or to strengthen you, or if you want to enjoy the forgiveness that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ because of something that's been in your life, the invitation is open and available, and you can come while we stand and sing. <coughs> there is a fountain filled with blood Drawn from Emmanuel's veins And sinners plunge beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains Lose all their guilty stains